Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 93. Thanks so much for joining me. We're having a bit of technical difficulties trying to get uh, Martin's video online, but we at least have his audio. Um, so our guest tonight is Martin Willits Jr. Before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you love poetry because you're here and you waited through a 10-second delay before the show could even start. So that means you should definitely click the like button. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following us on Facebook. Facebook has really been killing our reach lately. Apparently, uh, there's a little golden age of poetry on Facebook, and that, that age is sort of fizzling a little bit. So please do make sure you click the like button and follow us there. Let's see. So we lost Martin again, but I think we have, I think he was probably just trying to play with his settings. Um... Let me call him up again, <clears throat> get this connection going, and then I'll uh, read his bio and introduce you to Martin. Martin Willis Jr., uh, his newest book is Harvest Time. He's a retired librarian living in Syracuse, New York. He was nominated for 15 Pushcart and 13 Best at the Net Awards. Um, he's author of 25 chapbooks, 20, 21 full-length poetry collections. He's won a whole bunch of awards. He's an editor at the Comstock Review. Um, his most recent book, like I mentioned, is Harvest Time right here. I'll put it up on screen right now that's harvest time and uh, and that's his artwork too that's a hex uh hex image um and harvest time is a book about um his experiences as a child on the farm and his grandparents farm and then his book before that was unfolding towards love so we'll talk about uh both of those books we'll see if we have them actually on the line right now um hey martin adir can you hear me I'm here. <laughs> well, I welcome, welcome to the Rattlecast. We have there. a little, uh, a little robot. We'll pretend you're like Wally or something from that cartoon. Um, we have a little eyeball, but that's about it. Maybe I think we we sort of narrowed down the issues, and I think the problem might be just bandwidth. And, and when we did a test call, there was enough, and now at this time of night, there's not. Maybe. Um, but anyway, it's a pleasure to have you on this uh, broadcast. We've been publishing your poems for a long time, starting back in uh, Rattle Number Twenty Three which was, I believe, uh, 2004 or so. Uh, we've had you in two issues of Rattle. I think you've won the Frastic Challenge three times. And you're just an amazingly prolific poet. Um, do you want to start us out by reading a poem? Yes, and I'm sorry that people can't see me. Um, apparently, I'm technologically challenged, <laughs> among other well, things. Well, I don't think it's you. It worked fine when we did a test call like on Friday or whenever that was. So something is different now, and, and th- that's okay, though. Okay, I'm going to start with the first poem from uh, The Harvest Time called Simple Things, which is on page 10. Cows migrate towards a milking pail. Their grandfather's clock or a farmer. Whispers of light show him pulling on his boots, heading out. He opens the gate where he once met his wife, separated by the gate, shutting out temptation. These are all simple things, touching a forbidden hand, pulling fistfuls of milk into a wooden bucket, things any man can understand. Everything else moves too quickly, misunderstood, and mysterious as restless petticoats. Better to bend time to the slowest of minutes. It is simpler 
that way. Let other people feel the barometer of their hearts. He tends to the deliberate. Slow as night, as his wife shakes laundry off the line. This was how he felt when he opened that gate and she slipped through the first time, his hand tumbling into hers. He crowed the morning. That was Simple Things, uh, one of the early poems from uh, Harvest Time. Uh, Martin Willits Jr.'s newest book. I was going to ask you too, Martin, if you would mind reading a roadside vegetable stand, the next poem too, because I felt like that sets up the uh, the situation of the book pretty well. Would you mind reading that too? Um, I got to go back and find it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the uh, um, I was doing farming every summer for mm-hmm. my grandparents that had an Amish. And the other one was Mennonite, and it was down in Lancaster County. And we would set up a roadside vegetable stand. I disliked waiting at the vegetable and fruit stand, wooden pipe baskets, the scales for the nervous, wanting assurance they were not cheated, fruit pinchers making finger bruises, then rejecting the fruit as having marks. The ones who asked, what is that? When it was clearly peas still in their shells. I disliked waiting for someone to pull over. Sometimes they would whiz by so fast, their dust never settled. A blur of faces like wanted posters gawking at me. They left their life as gouged markers. I disliked the patience I had to learn. I would rather be sizing the wheat in high heat, the sun boring a hole in the sky like a projector light burning an old movie, than to put up with their arrogance counting change five times to prove I was not cheating them a penny. And if they asked for directions to where they were going, I was tempted to tell them where to go. I knew those words at 10. But I was told my tongue would blister if I took on their wicked ways. Keep it simple. Never make the world more difficult than it is. It was like wrestling with a bull in heat. Never take on more than you can handle. Handle every situation as if it was an egg. When my car would pull over, I would smile like a cow being milked. I mind manners. Count loose change, make certain they got extra food, made more than they had bargained for, thanked them kindly, invited them back, snarl when they drove away, check my tongue to see if it was on fire yet. And that was a roadside vegetable stand from Harvest Time. Uh, Martin Willits Jr.'s newest book of poetry, and, and it's book number 20, 
Martin. Um, uh, how long have you been writing poetry and how did you become so prolific? Like, do you have a process um, that like what how do you I mean, I don't know. I, I, we haven't had a person on the show yet who's had as many books um, published as you. Um, how do you confront poetry and, and I don't know, how do you become so prolific like you are? Uh, that's a long answer, <laughs> but a lot of uh, parts to it. Um, I started writing and publishing, I think, in 1974. And in, I think it was 1980 or 83, I walked away from poetry completely. At that point, I had three chapbooks and I had an offer from a major publisher that I walked away from. I had a child at that time, and I wanted to spend all my time with my son. I did not write again into 2001. So all these 20 books that you're talking about were really afterwards, uh, from 2001 into recently. And uh, so what happened is that um, somebody had contacted me for an anthology, for one of those 9-11 anthologies. And the first thing I had in the email was, are you the same Martin Willits Jr. and are you alive? <laughs> well, that'll get you started writing again. Um, so I have a daily habit of writing. And I write and I don't worry about it. I, I just go on and write. And sometimes I write 20 or 30 poems in a single day. I don't keep them all. I put them aside, and then I'll look at them later on when I can have some distance. Um, but pretty much I'm done in the first draft. Um, then I go back and I look at it, and I'm mostly looking at that time to make sure I have uh, all the punctuation right, all the... Um, yeah, I think that confirms that the issue is um, Martin's connection, which was fine the other day. But all the people in his neighborhood streaming must be the problem. Hey, Martin, we got you back. Uh, yeah, what happened here? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I think the connection is just not that strong. Uh, but anyway, do, um, maybe, um, let's see. I should, well, the, the sound quality is better here than it is on the regular phone. So let's just stay on this as long as we can. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so so we were talking about... Your, your writing process and how prolific you are. Um, <clears throat> when did you start writing poetry? When was that? Was it on the farm, like back uh, when you were a teenager? No, like I said, in uh, about 1974, mm -hmm. I think that's when I did, started. Um, I came back from Vietnam in 1970. Mm -hmm. So anything before then, I, I wasn't writing. Oh, really? Um, Not at all. Not at all. Um, so I was probably about 24 mm -hmm. uh, at the time. And uh, uh, I came from a you know typical kind of work background. Uh, the farming was a little different. Uh, but I also did uh, was a letterpress printer for a couple of publishers. I was not the the uh, owner, I was just a printer, so I have a print background. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I went to Offset Let Letterpress, which is uh, 
what magazines are mostly made out of now. Uh, I go back way back with printing. Uh, so I never imagined writing poetry. Hmm. I was printing it. I printed people like uh, Marge Percy, for example, Margaret Altwood. Mm -hmm. I forget all the other people that I was printing, but I was not the owner. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that definitely does. Um, and, and so um, explain a little bit about what, what drew you to write this book about um, about your, your experience growing up on the farm. The, what I wanted to point out was that line, um, um, where was it, The um, where you said... You wrote, uh, "Never make more of the world. Never make the world more difficult than it is." That seems like the central line in the book. Um, it's sort of. It feels like this book are lessons learned through that period, which was, I guess, about twelve years of your life where you were working on the farm. Um, it, it, is that what what compelled you to to put the poems together? Well, uh, again, with the Mennonites and Amish, they don't talk much. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of silence, and uh, so. Most of the time you're out there working in the fields. I was doing things the hard way. You've got, since you can't see me uh, on the screen, you can't see that I still wear the Amish suspenders. Um, I don't have the half beard like the Amish do. Um, so, the, but I'm used to that quietness. I'm used to pushing a hand plow. And uh, instead of using a horse, so that takes a lot of effort. I started uh, wood butchering when I was about five years old. I have a poem about that. Um, so some animals for food, some are for work. Uh, I also, as I got older, I did more complicated things. Uh, I would be on like one of those house builds that the Amish do in a day. So everybody gets together in a big group and they all build something really fast and they don't use nails they use wooden pegs so everything is old-timey and slow and concentrated uh so i got to study nature a lot when i was growing up um i know the names of the latin names of the animals that were on the farm the latin names of the uh, fruits and vegetables that we were growing uh, uh so I learned a lot doing that kind of work. The craziest thing I worked with was something called a stationary saw. And you have to imagine this. It was on an incline. It has a trough. And you would cut a tree on the top of the uh, hill, and you would slide it down this trough, and it would come to a stationary saw and would cut it. Oh, wow. So I had to learn how to figure out the diameter of the wood, how long it was, the incline of the hill, the speed it would come down the hill to hit the stationary saw to become Newton's physics. So I learned physics at a very early age. And to this day, I can do numbers in my head without breaking them down like most people do. Uh, and I was doing really complicated numbers because every time it was a different wood, it was a different part on the trough that had to go down. And I had to be able to do that on site. Uh, so later on, when I got older, I was doing blacksmithing. This is the two weeks in a row we've had some connection issues. Um, I think I'm going to 
tell him not to even try video. Actually, you know what I'm going to do is just call over audio. We'll just do audio, and then maybe it won't drop. Hey, Martin. So now I have it. Uh, I have it set up so that we can only do audio. So I think maybe the calls won't drop. Hopefully that'll work. I was trying something else this time. <laughs> I don't even see you now. Yeah, I turned off. I turned that off just to save your bandwidth, so the call, so the connection will stay strong. I think that might help. Okay. So we'll just keep it completely voice. I, I found a picture of yourself. I put it up on screen for so everybody at least can imagine uh, seeing you live. Um, but I was going to ask um, in the book that what I love about this book um, is it's so. I, I love books that tell a story. And it tells such a great story of um, of you through your time during this period. Did you expect, um, you sort of imply that you expected to to be working the farm your whole life. Um, is that how you, you saw it when you were a teenager? Absolutely. Um, uh, I got uh, a draft notice back in around 1967. I think I had just turned 17 or maybe 18. I'm not sure how old I was. And um, I had no choice. Back then, your choices were to go to uh, Canada or go to college. And I wasn't thinking of college at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, I should have had a draft deferment from being a pacifist, but I didn't have one. So I had to go to uh, an alternative. And I met the uh, infamous Berrigan brothers. And they told me about uh, the American Friends Service Committee. And so that was my alternative to war. I ended up in Vietnam as a field medic. And when I came back, I was wounded myself. Uh, so when I came back, the farm was gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was taken by the, uh, bank, uh, just before I left, um, my grandfather had died and a day or two later, my grandmother had died and I came down to see them, uh, and buried them, uh, with a traditional, uh, funeral that they would have with the the Mennonites and the Amish. And from there, I went into Vietnam. I didn't have a lot of time. So a lot of it was told to me later on that they sold everything. They they tore down the house. They sold all the equipment. They broke down the barn, you name it, the plows, the horses, the cows. Everything was gone. Mm Mm-hmm. So a lot of it was told to me because I never really got to see it. So I put it in the poems anyways because I figured that's poetic license. <laughs> yeah, well, even though a, I don't have a license to be a poet. <laughs> well, it's such a it's such a powerful and sad poem at the end of the book where when your grandparents die, and then um, you know the bank takes everything, and, um, and that must have been such a. I mean, you know, you going off, being drafted and going off to Vietnam and then coming back and having your whole world change. Um, how did you figure out what you were going to do with yourself after that? Well, uh, I was non-military, so I have no military benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the American Friends Service Committee is basically Quakers. And they were just as much anti-war as I am. 
so I was a natural fit. Uh, I was on the border between North and South Vietnam. So sometimes just a mere location was on one side or the other just because the, the lines kept moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I came back, I was wounded and I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, the printing world had changed on me. Uh, everything had changed. So I ended up going and getting a, a college degree without knowing if I could even go to college. I didn't know if I was good enough to go to college. Um, I knew I was good at math, but I didn't know if I was good at anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went, uh, at first I went to a two-year college just to find out if I could even handle college. Uh, here I'd been three years without any type of school during that time period. So I had fallen behind on everything except probably math. Mm-hmm. And luckily I knew enough botany to get by botany class because I taught myself the Latin names of, and how to identify uh, plants. But that only could get me so far. Uh, and then I went to get my bachelor's in English. And then later on, I finally uh, went on to Syracuse University. By that time, I had a lot of recognition as somebody really good at math. Um, I was doing statistical reports for all the college professors that were too lazy to do it. Hmm. So, uh, and that was back when they hand-drawed charts. So I was doing all the math for them, Hmm. drawing the charts, and then they would publish their uh, academic papers. And I did that at Syracuse University in exchange for free classes. So I never had to pay for a oh, class. Wow. Um, and I was not sure what I wanted to do. Even at Syracuse University, I eventually have a degree in what's called information studies, which is basically library. Um, and at that time period was when they were starting to come out with computers that you could use. So I had, uh, because I knew electrical flow and I knew math, Mm -hmm. I got in a project where I was one of the people that, uh, worked on the first computers. Oh, wow. With basic Fortran and COBOL. And DOS shell. Well, I want to I want to ask you more about about your work as a librarian um, later in the show, but and read some more poems too. Before we do that, though, because we sort of moved past Vietnam, you mentioned in an email that you were on the uh, burial detail uh, at My Lai. That's um, right. But what was that like? And and you have a po- a book of anti war poems coming up uh, next year. Do you want to just talk right. a little bit about your experience with that and um, and the forthcoming book too? Well, again, um, like I said, right on the border. So a lot of times the border lines would change. And I was in and out every day with bodies, mm-hmm. bringing them back. Uh, and sometimes I would help out in the operations. Sometimes I would be on the black bag detail. 
so I saw a lot of death yeah. in Vietnam. Um, saw a lot of maiming and you name it. But luckily, I think it's because I did the farming and butcher that the violence and the bloodshed de- doesn't bother me. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, I had a I, since we were located near where my lay took happened, mm-hmm. I happened to be on that detail with other people. Wow. It's not just me. Yeah. So a bunch of us would go out and we had to find all those bodies. We had to uh, take and bury those bodies. And some of them had Buddhist funerals and there were all these combinations. And it was it was not a pleasant sight. Yeah, I lost count at 300 bodies. Wow, wow. Is this the uh, first time you wrote about it in this uh, forthcoming book? Uh, yeah, um, because I wanted to write about my unusual life, um, I felt that the uh, harvest time was a way of knowing how I got from uh, a farmer to a field medic <laughs> and... Uh, still staying within my anti-war uh, attitude. So uh, the, the that book will be, the first part is all about different kinds of wars, not Vietnam. The second part is about my weird experiences in Vietnam. Uh, and then what it was like to come back from yeah, Vietnam. Yeah. Well, I came back in the middle of the anti-war movement and I was wounded myself. Um, they said I would never walk again. Hmm. I proved them wrong. Oh, well, let's turn back to uh, Harvest Time now. Do you want to read um, another poem from there? Sure. And, I uh, hope you can put them on the screen because... Yeah, I always put them on the screen. I am so. not seeing anything, hmm. obviously. Yeah, so you just read them, but I'll have them up on the screen for everybody. It's nice okay. to be able to read along for sure. And uh, I gave you a, a head start. Uh I'm going to the one called, At Five, I Learned the Purpose of Life. I already mentioned that I had to learn how to butcher at that age. Mm -hmm. At five, I learned the purpose of life. And what page is that on? That is page 24. Okay. My first instinct was to chase the chickens. My grandfather stopped me from such foolishness by proceeding to kill one in front of me. This was how I learned the purpose of life. I learned death does not always shudder out. Blood was on me at an early age. When I was asked to summarize, I had no words for pleasure or gruesomeness. So I said nothing, kept silence as my only friend. To this day, I still do not know what to say. What do you say about the purpose of death? I know I wanted to kill my grandfather that day. How do you speak of this anger? Not directly. And as they say, the chicken did not die right away. Any more than my grandfather did years later when his heart no longer wanted the purpose of life. That was uh, at five, I learned the purpose of life. Um, And I should say, uh, if anybody has any questions for Martin, I'm watching the chat screens. 
Uh, so please do leave any questions you have, and I'll pass them along. But let's hear another poem, Martin. We should uh, keep moving on poems here. It's already we're already halfway into the show. We've only done three, so let's do a couple more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do uh, Knowing the Answers, which is a page 37, because a lot of my poems don't use punctuation, and I wanted to show that. Cows lower in the neural styles, moving shoulders, remembering repetition and anticipation, the bead of last night's rain, shuddering on the eve, eyes holding the reflection of moon or memory, it's hard to tell which. The night is no longer creeping around, giving and taking sleep. The cows know we are coming before we arrive, providing relief. We untie problems. Now, like shoelaces, one knot at a time. I was knowing the answers. From harvest time. <clears throat> Do you want to do another one? Do you want to do uh, horse training? Okay. Yes. Um, like I said, some animals were for uh, food and some were for work. Uh, but sometimes you would get a hold of an animal that did not want to work. Horse training. There was a black stallion with a white patch between his eyes, refusing to be tamed. Grandfather wanted to put it down. Grandmother said, if it doesn't work, it doesn't get fed. If you place a rotten apple near the rest, they all become useless, said Grandfather. Where was the unwrapping of love? Is it that place where the belly fills with thunder? I had seen the cave drawings of prehistoric horses and the bloody handprints in this language. All breath is centrifugal from all time past to the future where grass moves like a horse's mane. There are hawks that never appear to touch ground. There are intricate movements of molecules connecting us. There's a cleft between the hindquarters of reality and moist flowing of muscles of belief. As a child, there is no difference. One can pass through both. In a minute, we can be whispers of earth. I could already see the horse's skeleton, how it flowed. Sometimes wrung wilderness out of its marrow. Sometimes the stampede of seconds. I will always hear the perpetual voices of the dead. The letter saddle none wanted to wear. All those white egrets following the escaping trails. The muzzle heat is easy to trace but impossible to read. I could not kill this horse 
or lash him or set him free. There is a gravity that follows all decisions. And that was Horse Training from Harvest Time. The newest book uh, from Deerbrook Editions by Martin Willits Jr. Um, Martin, the, Gordon Coppola wanted to know about uh, the punctuation, and I was wondering about that too. So you, you mentioned that uh, you don't punctuate a lot of poems, but that poem was punctuated. Um, yes. And Gordon asks, um, what is your determining factor for using punctuation or not? Um, how, do you, how do you approach a poem structurally? And that was sort of, uh, Angela Gartner asked something similar too about form. How do you approach um, how to do a poem, how to lay it on a page like that, and whether to use punctuation or not? With the ones without punctuation, I'm trying to slow down the language. And it teaches me about line breaks and line breath. So I'm trying to slow everything down. I'm trying to get that plotting type of movement going on by breaking it like that. The punctuation is to show that, yes, I can do punctuation, basically. Uh, but they just feel different when I'm doing it uh, that way. Um, if I took the punctuation out of the ones that had punctuation, it wouldn't look the same. Uh, so I really think about how the poem appears on the page. Um and in that one, it is structural. It's five, four line stanzas all the way down. Mm -hmm. So I'm focused on, on some of my poems are two lines, some are three lines, some are four lines, some are five lines. Believe it or not, within the second line, I usually know if the poem is going to be a sec two line or three line or four line or five line poem, or if it's just going to be a typical uh, free verse poem. So, how I, do you? Uh, what do you think the difference is? I always felt like um, with the with the lines, the line length and, and stanza length has a lot to do with the pacing. Like if there's more white space, I feel like you uh, read it a little slower, so the pace you know sort of matches the pace of the voice. Is that the way you can hear it, or is it something different? No, I said I, I just said that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, that. I'm thinking of slowing everything down. And I, when I do that, I also notice how many words I really don't need. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really focusing on, on the ones without any punctuation because, I, like I said, it's, it's about line breaks. It's about how the breath works in your body. And... Um, I, I'm really thinking about all those different things when I'm writing, and uh, sometimes it just works that way. Uh, we have a question and a comment from Gloria Lynn uh, Froes on uh, Facebook. This is interesting. I wanted to talk about this a lot more, too. Um, she says, so interesting to hear of your Mennonite and Amish roots. Um, I grew up a Mennonite. Uh, my father is still a pastor in the Holdeman Mennonite Church, though I left as a teenager. I know about the hard work and pacifist values. My role model, silently laboring under the sun, no complaining. Uh, so much love, but also so many rules and very strict discipline, etc. 
But there are so many things we never spoke openly about, and as a child, many of my questions were answered with, that's just the way it is, or it's not for us to question but simply to obey. My question to you is, and this is from Gloria again, uh, in what ways and how deeply do you think your Amish Mennonite heritage has influenced your poetry? Well, I agree with her statements. It's definitely like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could escape it because I only did it in the suburbs. So uh-huh. I would go back to Syracuse where we had um, electricity, you know, televisions, all, all those things. And then when I went to Mennonite country, there was no electricity, uh, hand pump water, uh, a free uh, whole outhouse. She probably knows about that. Um, and uh, there aren't all these rules. And there, like she said, a lot of times you're told that's the way it is. So you hear that so much, it becomes a part of you. And I think I'm saying that with talking about uh, how I had to kill certain animals because that was the responsibility. And sometimes I had to work with animals, and that was part of the responsibility. And lifting up field stones out of the ground was a part of the responsibility. And you didn't question these things. You just did them because they needed to be done. And uh, a lot of times in the community that I was in, uh, they would exchange things, which meant they didn't always trust money. Hmm. So you would uh, trade a pig for something else. And it was common. Yeah, I was wondering if about that, and if um, if it feels like the um, the the sort of unspoken nature of those things, and and that the the sense of like that's just the way it is, is sort of the opposite of poetry. Do you think it was that that experience that drew you into questioning and trying to articulate more of the things that that we don't usually articulate? Because it's kind of what poetry is about. Well, I'm trying to see uh, life differently than most people to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think it's because I had this topsy-turvy world between um, a city life, country life, a Vietnam life, a going to college life, working in libraries life, and all these different things brought different perspectives into the fold. And in each case, I found the same process of this is the way it is. This is the way it always been. And mm-hmm. you don't, you're not supposed to question. And I'm a questioning kind of person. I want to know why is it always this way? Mm-hmm. Why, why do we have to do it the same way just because it always was that way? Yeah. Uh, and you have this other book, uh, Unfolding Towards Love. Um, which is a book of spiritual poems. I'll put it on the screen uh, for everybody to see at home. This is Unfolding Towards Love. That's the, the second to last book that Martin put out. This is by Resource Publications. And um, and it's a poem about um, your Mennonite beliefs in God. Or not Mennonite, but Quaker beliefs in God. Um, and I, I just loved reading this book, too. Um, it, there's a way that uh, poetry, especially contemporary poetry, um, focuses on... 
sort of problems or um or complaints you know and there's very little praise poetry it's a, it's in the minority and this is poems and praise of existence and the magic of the magicness that spills through us i guess um can you explain a little bit about what your belief is i mean i know i don't know all that much about quaker beliefs but i do know that um the idea is that that god is sort of a light that that's in all of us um can you just talk a little bit about that and what drew you to writing this other book and then maybe read a couple poems from that it would be great if you could um, in terms of, uh, Quakers, Amish, Mennonites, and, uh, are basically all very similar. There are some differences, and like other religions, you have some extremists in, uh, that are very conservative, and some that are very radical. Um, because I have a questioning nature, uh, Quaker seems to work for me. Um, and again, it's probably because I was in Vietnam and I was working with the Quakers and I heard so much of what they were doing and what they were about. Mm-hmm. So one of the things they do is silent meditation. Well, all three of them do. All three of them do silent meditation. Um, I can go into silence for like several hours in a row. Uh, and... In the case of Quakers, you're listening for the voice of God. And then you're trying to discern, is it coming from God or is it coming from ego? Hmm. And some people can do better with that and some struggle with that. Now, there's in the Quakers, there's the kind that have the total silent worship. And then there's the kind that uh, talk during worship and that's called vocal ministry and that's the kind i'm in um in within the quakers i'm considered a uh an ecstatic which means i'm always finding joy in everything and i'm drawn to the ecstatic poets um with a lot of the books that are on my shelf so uh i i this is like the second or third time that I had a book that was totally about what it was like to, to find the joy and awe in nature mm-hmm. and everywhere around you and in everything. Because one of the beliefs is that God is in everything, in everybody, which is why we're against war. If you kill somebody then you are really doing uh, something against what God, uh, part of God. You're actually killing a part of God. Mm. Uh, and that might be a little hard for most people to understand. Uh, and then we don't use the word God. I've had to use it because I'm trying to explain things. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we use the word light. So light and God are interchangeable. And, you know, it's right there in Genesis, let there be light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm, we also uh, think that uh, it's it, we call it the spirit we call it a number of different things but mostly the light uh, so you will see me using a capital L mm-hmm. for light and that's because I'm really referring back to what we call God Yeah, uh, I, I love that too because light you know light is a uh energy without mass you know and that's kind of what god would be right would be like a a massless 
you know, force or, or a, you know, a massless energy in the universe that, that animates things. And that's exactly what light does. And uh, the, uh, the thing was with Quakers is that we don't convert. Mm-hmm. We're not about converting anybody. Uh, so you either join because you are interested and then you become a member because you want to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to stand in a corner uh, somewhere and tell you that you're wrong, regardless of your own religious belief, or if you have no religious belief, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong. I'm not going to do that. It's not part of what we do. Uh, so we try to do by example. Quakers and uh, have been against a lot of things over time. Uh, we were the first to get rid of slavery. We were first to say slavery was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the song uh, uh, about uh, the circle being unbroken explains part of what we believe in because everything is in a circular nature. The earth rotates, uh, the seasons come and go, um, and the circle is also the light. It's all somehow connected to us. Do you want to read a poem from this book, uh, from Unfolding Towards Love? Uh, I didn't prepare you for what page, Um, but I'm going to go to... Because it's a, I like to show that I can do forms. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to page 42. Love is never far from us. Okay, I've got it. And uh, this is would be called a perfect villanelle because the same words and the first and third lines repeat themselves, whereas uh, some other villanelles are not doing exactly word for word. Love is never far from us. Love, perhaps, is not far from us. Yet it seems so far away. We are overwhelmed with loss. If we believe, for our belief is false. Love is gone forever, it betrays. Love, perhaps, is not far from us. Love is never far away. Love is never lost. It is with us every day. We are overwhelmed with loss. Small moments remind us what's false. Love comes again, today and today. Love, perhaps, is not far from us. Maybe the sadness is just a cross. We never know completely what to say. We are overwhelmed with loss. We try to hold on and let go at all costs. Sometimes love comes unexpectedly. Love, perhaps, is not far from us. We are overwhelmed with loss. And that was Love is Never Far From Us, uh, from Unfolding Towards Love. A good example of uh, the way this book reads. I didn't read through the whole book. But I read many of the poems, and, and they're the kind of poems that you can imagine reading one a day in the morning and then, and then contemplating that. You know, throughout, there's, there's a sense of, like, it would be a positive thing to read this book, which is uh, not a feeling you get from a lot of poetry books, actually. So that was very interesting to me uh, looking at it. Uh, before we move back to the, 
the harvest time though um you mentioned being a um ecstatic poet and Sally dunn asked uh, what are your favorite ecstatic poets and uh, I know Blake is probably an obvious uh, example. Who else? Uh, who do you like to read that, that you would consider an ecstatic poet? Uh, Emily Dickinson would be high on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rauke, um Hefaz, I'm, I'm not sure if I said that name right. Um, there's a lot of the... Uh, uh, I'm trying to... I'm drawing blanks right now, so I'm, I'm sorry. Uh I love William Stafford mm-hmm. um, and uh, Mary Oliver. And a lot of them are also nature poets that I'm naming. Uh, yeah. There's uh, a, a woman named Lala. And whenever you hear uh, a certain group going, that's in honor of her. Mm-hmm. And she would huh. do a dervish dance while reciting poetry. Oh, interesting. Uh, and uh, the dervishes have a lot of, of people like that. Um, John, uh, the sa- a saint that was in a castle and he was being tortured, um, the desert poets, uh, I know I'm just drawing blanks, but uh, that's that's a start right there. Um um, speaking of uh, of the the sort of styles of poets you're drawn to, um, Richard Westheimer asks. Uh, so he says these poems all have a plain, or all feel plain in the way of plain people. Uh, when you read other poets' work, are you attracted to poets with a similar voice, or find inspiration in noisier, busier work? Because that is your 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 poems cut right to the bone and right to the heart of the story. Uh, you already mentioned how you you take out words that aren't necessary. Are you drawn to poets like that, or or do you also um, enjoy reading sort of more maximalist poets? Um, before I was a poet, uh, and I was doing um, restorations on uh, Victorian houses, mm-hmm. I had a job repairing a ship. And it was for Charles Olson, and I didn't know who he was. Oh, wow. So I'm familiar with the Maximus poems. And I have a lot of stories about what he was like um, because I actually met him. I also met uh, Robert Frost through doing restorations. Hmm. And, again, I was too young to know who he was, didn't appreciate the, the fact that he was Robert Frost. And that's the Frost House. Hmm. Uh, it's the same place as now a poetry place to gather. And I helped fix that house. Oh, wow. Uh, so I just wish I appreciated poetry back then. But I have a great Robert Frost uh, story about one night when we were just sitting around and he was telling about how he became a poet. Well, you got to tell us now. How did, how did Frost become a poet? <laughs> Well, uh, he'd already had failures. Hmm. This is important for any poet out there worried about being published. He had a lot of failures. And he was despairing about not getting published. So he had a, a manila folder of poems. And he started tossing a sheet at a time into the fireplace. And then he stopped. And whatever he kept from the fire became a boy's mill. 
Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> so what didn't he keep from the fire? That's kind of amazing to think about. So anybody that's read A Boy's Will, you're reading what he salvaged when he was at his lowest point. Hmm. And he didn't think that he was ever going to be famous. He didn't think he was ever going to get published. So it's a great story for anybody out there that worries about publications. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, do you want to read? Let's do another poem, and then we'll do a little more talking, and then a little more another poem, and then and that's about the time we're going to have, okay? Uh, where do you want me to read from? The uh, other book? Uh, or which, 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 whichever you'd prefer. It's, it's completely up to you. Well, I'll go back to the unfolding towards love. Okay. Because um, this is a... I'm going to cheat and tell you where the title comes from. It's on page 50. It's called Presence. That's another word for God for us. Mm -hmm. And again, you'll notice if you look at the page, no punctuation. Presence. A sparrow landed on a branch, barely moving the limb with its light, heartfelt song. This can be a quiet world. Even when there is a song moving in a tall tree. Even if melody hooks into my heart, this can be a quiet place. Stirring from branch to fence to sky. This is such a quiet, quiet world we live in. When the sparrow goes away, it takes its song with it. This world can be a silent place. And that's uh, Presence, once again, from uh, Unfolding Towards Love. Um, we mentioned a little bit that you uh, worked primarily as a librarian, in addition to doing uh, book restoration and, uh, and letterpress and offset printing. Um, how has, what has your experience been as a librarian like and how has that affected your poetry and also how has librarians work changed over the years it, it seems like it's changed so much um you know just the uses in a way the library is the last uh functional like public space that we have really you know you, you go to the county court or you can go to jail or you can go to the library and that's kind of the only maybe parks too but but there aren't that many public places where we gather and do things in one space anymore um, and that's and, and that role has become so important for a lot of people, especially with the internet and having connection to it. Um, so, just what was your experience like being a librarian? And um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, when I first went into Syracuse University, it was still called Library School, and over time it became known as Information Studies. That's my master's uh, degree. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were no computers. Every, everything was book. Um, and, and, and it changed because there was the internet. And back then, the internet was only intended to be like maybe eight to ten computers that would help out with science to make things uh, scientifically faster. There was no intention to having a computer that everybody recognizes now. Uh, we didn't even know the word internet. There was no such word. So 
it went from all that to what you now see is the uh, internet is now you have handheld devices, things that I could not imagine when I was going to library school. So my, I went into children's library and I was the first male children's librarian in the United States. I've never met anybody that started as early as me. And, uh, so I was a rarity. I faced a lot of reverse sexism. I had actual female librarians tell me I was not equal to them. Even though I could do puppetry, I could play music and sing, I could tell stories from memory, I could do things that they couldn't do, but I was not equal. So I definitely know what women feel when they say they've been discriminated. Mm -hmm. I've been there. Uh, and I was a children's librarian for a long time. I sat on something called the Newberry Selection Committee. Oh, really? Twice, which is the best book for uh, children. I also sat on one Calicut, which is the best illustrated book. So uh, I was able to do things that a lot of people don't get a chance to do. Along the way, I worked in small libraries, medium-sized libraries, and really big libraries. Uh, eventually, I became a library director. I was a library director for, of the state. Uh, it was like an award for a couple of years running. Uh, and then I worked in uh, an unusual position to create law libraries in the state of Georgia in prisons. Hmm. So I went into a lot of prisons, met a lot of prisoners, uh, providing law library access, and that led to working for a federal judge. So I actually had to go with a federal judge to the Supreme Court and represent a case. Oh, wow. So I had to do that. Um, and then I went back to children's library work again because I really didn't like what I was, you know, doing. Uh, actually, um, representing a federal judge was something I really wasn't interested in doing. But uh, part of my job was to explain to prisoners uh, the, the law books that they now had access to. Yeah. And I had to tell them about proper forms that you fill out, how you properly fill out the forms and, and things like that. Uh, it meant a lot of travel. I, I, count, I went into three different states to do it. It was a big job. Mm. Um, and I just wasn't very happy with all the travel. So I went back to children's library work. And then I won an award, an international award for a children's program. It was so well received that it got special recognition from New York State Library. It also got recognition from the, the uh, federal library associations. I did a lot of workshops for uh, library groups. Um, and um, the library I was working at was a very small library. It was the first time a library under 150,000 had actually won that prize. Oh, wow. Hmm. Um, I had uh, 
I had to go to Montreal to accept the award uh, because it was an international award. And I didn't think it was any cash prize to it. I thought it was just this honorary thing. I would get a little certificate or something and just add it to a file that I'd never read. Mm-hmm. Uh, turned out it was uh, money that went towards the library. And it was able to build up their collection and uh, get their computers and a few other things. So it was a nice big cash prize, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Um, how how has it evolved? Like the the readership. Um, you know, I always worry just about that we're becoming less of a of a book culture. You know, uh, Marshall McLuhan has that whole thing about how we're we're returning to the oral culture because of TV <laughs> and radio, and um. And, and it kind of you kind of feel like it's happening. Um, it has is the reader experience of the library patron changed significantly? Is the the attendance uh, and, the, and the time you've been at a li- all these different libraries? Um, have you noticed a difference, or are people still reading? Do you think? I remember um, the first time people were talking about um, books that <clears throat> you could get on a device. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I thought they were crazy. That was back in, I don't know, I would guess about 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about, uh, and now you can actually read books on a held, handheld device. Uh, but it took like almost 20 years for everything to catch up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's still that quandary with libraries. Uh, should we offer these um, books that you can download? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the ones where you can download music. Uh, all these things that I could never imagine when I was first in libraries. Uh, but uh, I also remember the debate between VHS and whatever else was going on at the time, and then uh, the first CD and all the different things that came as I was doing things in libraries. I also had an opportunity to see the first laptop, and the first laptop looked like a suitcase. (laughs) It was this luggage Mm -hmm. thing. It was about, I don't know, uh, maybe five, six inches wide. And it would open up, and it would be you would have to connect it to uh, a something that looked like an Earth satellite disk. <laughs> I mean, it was really crazy. Uh, so there's always that question in libraries. I think that the the uh, libraries might have missed their opportunity during the uh, pandemic, mm-hmm. where they could have done more online things. Some did, some didn't. Yeah, ours did not. They, yeah, they could have done like children's programs mm-hmm. on something like Zoom. Or they could have done uh, a, adult programs on Zoom. Now, I'm about um, 20 minutes away from a library that has been doing... Uh, Zoom programs during the pandemic, but there were a lot of libraries within five minutes of me that didn't. Hmm. 
So I think a lot of libraries missed out on that opportunity. They could have been reading books to somebody. Yeah. Uh, and it would have been, you would have seen somebody actually turning a book or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if libraries are going to really recover exactly the same way. Where I'm at, the libraries are still not open. So uh, they've been closed now for a year and a half or more. Uh, you're going to have problems. You're going to have books that weren't returned. You're going to have patrons that have gone on to different things. They might have found, oh, we can now get books uh, that we can put in a cassette in a, or CD in our car and drive around and listen to it instead of going to the library. Uh, we can do uh, we can download things mm -hmm. on to uh, some other kind of device and read it at our leisure. Uh, things that I just don't think they were thinking about that they could be really doing. They also could have been doing things like mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, things to make people feel better during the pandemic because so many people were having uh, mental anguish. Uh, I was reading so much of it on Facebook. I started putting on uh, little things about feeling better and how to feel better. Because I could hear it and read it in, in what was going on in Facebook. And I know that if I'm reading a small sample, it's got to be worse than that I can imagine. And I'm only doing a small little thing to make people feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, libraries just seem like such a important places. Like I said, it's like the only community center that we still have. Um, so hopefully they, they find a way to exist and, and continue and thrive in that little niche that they have. Because there's not much, you know, we don't even go to the mall anymore. You know, I mean, the malls are dead. There's just nothing that uh, brings people together in one, one place, um, let alone a, a great place like a library. Uh, we're, we're pretty much coming up on time. Do you want to read two last poems just to get two more in? Um, okay. which, whichever two you'd like to finish up on. Well, I'm going to go back to, uh, and I don't know how much time because I'm also not seeing the clock very well. Yeah, it's um, all right. We, we have enough time for two poems. I want to do um, Listening to a Handloom, which is actually a two-page poem. Mm -hmm. But because it talks about what the process was really like to be slow. And how, how I had to do things that were very different. Normally, men don't use a hand loom in Amish and Mennonite world. I did. And that's very unusual. So it's called listening to a hand loom. Wool speaks of being sheared and carded. I coaxed it from the sheep that dogs had barked into a pen. I sharpened the clippers on a whetstone, grinding into flint strike spark appeared. I gather pokeweed berries, boil them into a dye, let it dry. Later, I'd spin the wool on a spindle into a spool of color, dark blue thread for the longitudinal wrap held still in a handloom's frame. The filling yarn was the woof, guided by a shuttle, 
waving in and out like a guided hummingbird between those threads. That shedding portion where the material creates space for the shuttle to slip through. This motion of lifting and tightening happens automatically with the heddle frame. The loom would tell the story of labor and patience by doing work the old way. The loom taught me specialized language. It wove the story of sacrifice of the sheep giving wool and me laying low on a hillside with a single boat rifle protecting them from predators. I still hear the grass wet against my face. A bead of sweat as it trickles down into my sighted eye and a wolf's tail twitch. Shuttle, shift, pop. The thread as thin as a spider's web weaving stories. This work of hands Patterns zipping through threads of time. I never talked during any of this work. I needed concentration to listen. Be careful. Don't miss a stitch. This story of my life is not over. The snap pull of the loom makes the thread of light begin and end each day, soft whisperings of wool and work sigh. I have sewn this story into the pokeweed night, each star speaking the language of loom snap. And I was listening to a hand loom. Uh, from Harvest Time. Let's close out, uh, Martin, with one last poem. The last poem in the book, 84. Silence has its own language. There are days when I'm still 10, following grandfather out the back door into the prayer of stars. There are several ways to know silence. Fishing forever without a bite. Your hand, heart moving with a spring steam defrosting. Or mucking the barn. Rake scratching wooden floors and straw. Or cat swishing its tail before striking. Or garden rod opening. Grandfather barely spoke all summer. No need to talk. Words were wasted. When silent commands and nods work well. You can hear more if you listen intently. Deer moving at dawn, inventing silence, or the stillness of heart and hush of breath. More important, all of earth and stars and silence speak 
you can hear like a dog's ear perking everything unsaid. And that was Silence Had Its Own Language from Harvest Time. Uh, Martin Willits Jr., thanks so much for being a guest today. Uh, I'm sorry we could get the video to work, but it was still a pleasure talking to you and hearing these important stories and really fascinating and stuff and wonderful poetry. Thanks for being a guest. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a good night. Same to you. That was Martin Willits Jr., of course, with uh, Harvest Time is the book we were reading primarily from. Uh, you can find Harvest Time. Oh, and I forgot to write, we forgot to ask about the Hex um, the Hex artwork, too, that's on the front cover. This is from Deerbrook Editions. You can find that at Deerbrook, that's deer like the, you know, D-E-E-R. Brook is B-R-O-O-K editions e-d-i-t-i-o-n-s dot com uh, that is uh, where you can find Harvest Time of course you can find the link in the show notes as always the other book that we read a couple poems from uh, was Unfolding Towards Love uh, the book of spiritual poems from Martin Willits Jr. from Resource Publications you can find that at uh, um, whipfanstock dot com or no I guess that's not right Resource Publications is where you can find it. There, That's the uh, cover artist's website. Uh, beautiful cover art, too. But um, there are two books by Martin Willits Jr. Really interesting, uh, amazing life that Martin has lived. It's really cool to be able to share and talk about some of that, those stories. And it's a really, really a great book to dive into that lifestyle that uh, isn't, isn't uh, as round as much as it used to be. Um, now we're going to go on to the open mic section of the show. And uh, before we do, let me just uh, turn a little background music. The uh, the prompt for this week, of course, was to write a poem. Actually, before I do that, I gotta get the uh, numbers up on screen for you. So the uh, the way that works, of course, is to call. The way to uh, join, if you'd like to join the open mic, is to uh, email the poem that you'd like to share to open mic. That's open mic at rattle.com. All one word, open mic at rattle.com. Uh, do that first. Do that right now. It can be a prompt poem. It can be a uh, poem from Poets Respond uh, about current events. It can be any poem you'd like to share. If there was a poem you published recently, you can just send me the link uh, to the website that it was on so we can show that on screen and, and give a shout out to other literary magazines and things like that that are publishing your poems. That's always fun too. Uh, so do that first, uh, send me a link or a poem and then join in either by phone or Skype by Skype for video call. Just type in rattle poetry into the search bar. That's rattle poetry, all one word. Just say hello. I'll wave back and then you'll be on the call list and I'll call you back at the end of the show. If by phone call like a uh, guy chambers is right now, call up 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. And uh, just let it ring a few times, hang up. That'll put you on my call list, and I'll call you back within the next hour. Um, and like I was saying, the uh, the prompt for this week was to write a poem, a reverse poem. So it's a poem that can be read forward, you know, going down the lines like you normally would, and then backward up through the lines. And uh, that will be the prompt for this week. And I'm sure you got a whole bunch of poems like that. We'll share uh, Megan and mine, and then... Uh, go to the open lines in just a second uh, but before we do next week's guest is going to be Karen McCadden um, Karen's been in several issues of Rattle just a wonderful poet her newest book is American Wake and uh, that'll be Rattlecast number 94 Tuesday Mar- May 25th the same time as always I will see you uh, then of course but first let me uh, just take a little bit of a break like 30 seconds as I get everything set up and stretch my legs 
refill your glasses or whatever you got going on, and I will see you in just a second with the open lines, okay? I'm back. Thanks so much for uh, giving me a moment to, to stand up and, and uh, also get things set up with all these uh, other windows over here. Now, like I mentioned, the open mic uh, prompt was to uh, write a poem that's a reverse poem that reads forward and backward. And um, how you do, let's see. So so what I decided to do, there is a, a prompt... Um, I, I looked back through old prompts I didn't actually finish. And I don't know if anybody remembers, there was a prompt last year that was to use randomstreetview.com to find a street view and to uh, write a poem about. It's sort of an ekphrastic street view poem. And uh, when I did that, I always give myself like a half an hour, maybe an hour if I'm lucky, before the show to write a poem. And with this one, I just got so fascinated by this image and trying to figure out what's going on here that I like took up all my time and, and only wrote some notes to a poem. Uh, and this was the street view. Uh, this is from, uh, this is Berlin. And this is uh, Taz Dorfer Street. And we see all these, uh, and there's this blur, you know, you can't see if you're just listening. It's sort of an industrial neighborhood. There's some kind of warehouse, um, garage. There's, uh, you know, some people, you know, some businesses, some boarded up windows and things. And then one of the buildings is blurred out. And I, I took like, you know, 15 minutes to figure out what that building was. I looked at the different maps and looked up addresses for different uh, different places. And it turns out that the building is the um, is the Urban Mojo B&B, uh, Bed and Breakfast in Berlin. And it's a beautiful looking place. Uh, you can see pictures on the internet. It's got a, this must have been before the pandemic because I wasn't worried about um, how it would go, you know, how, how the business was thriving during the pandemic. It must have been over a year ago. But um and so, so why is that building blurred out? I don't know. And and so I, th- I decided to try to write a poem that was sort of like a tourist brochure. That was my plan, but I didn't actually end up doing it. I just wrote a couple lines down. So I finished that and made it my reverse poem for the week. And here is my reverse poem. This is a rolling over at the Urban Mojo B&B. A fern fireworks its way through the steel grate of the parking garage next door as you arrive. And the mechanics at the chop shop will turn to greet you. All the windows boarded and barred on Tazdorfer Street, displaying the finest local art. Every room features a view, its central exhibit, like the nature of rust. A train traverses the bridge twice a day near the blurred blob. Now you're home. Enjoy your stay. Enjoy your stay. Now you're home near the blurred blob. Twice a day, a train traverses the bridge like the nature of rust. Its central exhibit, every room features a view displaying the finest local art on Tazdorfer Street, bored or barded. All the windows will turn to greet you and the mechanics at the chop shop next door. As you arrive, the steel grate of the parking garage works its way through a fern fire. And that is uh, my ekphrastic... Google Street View Reversal poem. 
for this week. And uh, this was what Megan came up with. Of course, as always, hers is better than mine because that's the nature of marriage. And uh, this is untitled. And um, now Megan didn't want to actually write out the reversal. So we'll see. I'm curious what um, y'all did. She just wants me to read it down and then read it back up. So that's what I'm going to do here. This is Megan's poem. It's untitled. And uh, here it is. This is uh, untitled. The mosquitoes come out when the twilight is soft as cream. The hammock sways, missing the weight of us. All over the forest, there are songs we don't understand. We hum what we remember in the hollow of our bones. We find what every night knows. In the darkness, heart, in the dark heart of the world, something moves. Something moves in the dark heart of the world. We find what every night knows in the hollow of our bones. We hum what we remember we don't understand. There are songs all over the forest, missing the weight of us. The hammock sways when the twilight is soft as cream. The mosquitoes come out. That was Megan's reversal poem, Untitled. Now let's see what you have, and let's jump on the open lines. Um, first in line today, let's see, was Angela Garner. Let's see what Angela has for us. I'm going to have to shuffle around the screens here. Hey, Angela, how are you doing? Doing. I'm doing great. Let me try to get you on screen because everything is a little... There you go. Because I had to change everything to get just a picture of Martin up. I don't know if it's my connection, but it keeps like... You keep like going out for some reason. I have to keep like... It's it's really weird. So hopefully the connection will be okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look back at it later. Everything is fine. Everything looks totally normal on my end. And and my yeah. video connection is good. And, you know, the bandwidth is great on from my, you know, house. So I don't know what's going on. It just um, must be me. No worries. <laughs> well, it was, it was uh, in last week, too, with Michael Mark. He was dropping out sometimes, which, you know, we're 93 episodes in. And, like, that's the second time it's happened and twice in a row. It's kind of – well, actually – a couple episodes have done that, but not many. Um, so, so what did you have that you wanted to share? Okay, and I know it's not a prompt poem. It's uh -huh. actually a prompt from yesterday, last month or last week because I just I couldn't do the reversal, and I'm like, well, I just want to share what I did last week because I was able to share. And I um, mean, it is Robert Frost, which is funny because he brought that up. So. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> that was a crazy story about. I had no idea. I never heard that before. Yeah, it's 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 a pretty it was a good real I mean he was really good. So I I appreciate you guys. So you always having these awesome rattle casts cuz it's very it's good inspiration for us all. So Yeah, it's fun to meet these people. You know, I I've I've we've published his poems for, you know, 15 years that I've been here and uh it's cool to meet people every week. Um so this was make my own way response to the road not taken. That was that was a prompt from I don't know how many weeks ago, but several weeks ago. It was yeah, it was last week actually. So Oh, was it last week? Yeah. Okay. And I, I should have. Oh, that's done right. Because because we had one we had one prompt like two months ago or so that was like the road more taken or something like that. Remember? <laughs> okay, so this is yeah, this was the uh, response to a famous poem prompt. Okay. Yeah, and it's kind of. I wish I would have different did a different title, but anyway, I won't take up too much time. I, like the road taken, it, I basically did. I was just I started thinking about like a map, like. You know, because the road kind of veers off in two pathways and road less traveled. But, like, I just felt like, you know, I make kind of my own road map. So, mm -hmm. um, all through my life, it's my own. I go my own way. So. 
Can oh, you yeah, see me? yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to read it. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I'll go ahead. There's a certain method to how my map folds. The others who have tried to follow the roads, they don't see my twists and turns and how the green mountain curves. The lines on the drawing for them are blurred. The sketch is filled with colorful scenery. I hold it up to look at my favorite memories. The images of people who I love are pinned. It shows the heights of hills I've climbed. The legend displays my trip's longevity. I know it doesn't matter how I travel the route or how my passage weaves through the brush. I just don't want to be in a mindless commute. My place in the world comes from my own pursuits. The journey is done when I reach the highest, highest elevation. Well, that was great. Thanks so much for sharing that, Angela. And I'm so glad that your route led you here where we could be on the Rattlecast. <laughs> exactly. I, actually, it's it's because of COVID. Like, I really expanded poetry. And I'm, I, you know, poetry, like, I mean, I'm just so happy that I am able to be part of this community. Because, I mean, without the virtual world, I, I wouldn't be able to be out there with, Cal you know, you're in California. So it's it's great to have this. Um, it's great that you do this every week. So yeah, anyway. It is. Well, well, thank you for joining us every weekend. I appreciate it. You, well, I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a great week yep. or night. Yeah, Bye. you too. Bye. Bye. It's Angela Gardner with uh, Make My Own Way, a response to the road not taken. Let's see. Next up, we will go to Gordon Kipola. I will find Gordon's poem here. Hey, Gordon, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Tim. Um, yeah, I'm having uh, some issues with YouTube myself. It's It's gone out on me. In fact, it's out right now, but apparently it's working somewhere in the world, so I, I don't know what the deal is. Oh, that's interesting. Let me... Uh, error. Hmm. Yeah, I got uh, some playback error. I don't know. I... For a while, I could just hit like refresh and it would Let's do see. it, but now it's just like frozen. Yeah, well, it has, it must be a YouTube problem. So what I'll have yeah. to do is, uh, you know, the whole show is recording locally sure. and it's on Facebook too. So if anybody, well, I can't tell anybody if you, if you <laughs> ever, uh, you know, don't get the show. Let's see. It's streaming fine on, on Facebook. Let me check uh, Twitter really quick just to let everybody know. Um yeah, it's streaming fine oh. on, on, on Twitter, too. So you can always go to Facebook or Twitter to uh, find the that, show that, if, if, or, or, you know, the other two of the three <laughs> if one's not working. Yeah, you're, you're back now. On, yeah, that's on. strange. It's nothing that I did. Maybe there's just internet connections all over the place. Actually, you know, there's a solar storm that's headed this way. Uh, there's some sunspots and things. Maybe that has to do with it. I don't know. Let's see. So it's in, and Nivedita says it's fine in India. I'm going to refresh this page and see if. Uh, yeah, thanks for letting me know. This is a, a strange night for uh, the connection. Everything looks totally fine for me. Let's see. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. There's, there was an error message, but now it's back. Strange. Uh, well, anyway, let's just keep going, <laughs> Gordon. And uh, and if it if if it if it didn't actually record a lot of the show, I'll just upload the whole video because um, it's all recorded locally here. So, what do you have? You have a you have a verse poem too, right? I do. Uh, yes. Uh, so this is called "I Could Take a Nap." Okay. Or rise to fight another battle, or research lawn fertilizers, or wipe off a year of dust, or volunteer my time, or call my brother, or plan some goals, or nibble, or walk or mock, 
or quibble, or pwn some trolls, or curse my mother, or mourn my wasted prime, or whine about the unjust, or boycott woke advertisers, or rhyme a rant I'll send to Rattle. And then the, the more uplifting version, not that Rattle isn't uplifting, uh, <laughs> I could take a nap, or rhyme a rant I'll send to Rattle, or boycott woke advertisers, or whine about the unjust, or mourn my wasted prime, or curse my mother, or pwn some trolls, or quibble, or mock, or walk, or nibble, or plan some goals, or call my brother, or volunteer my time, or wipe off a year of dust, or research lawn fertilizers, or rise to fight another battle. <laughs> that is excellent. Thanks, Gordon. That was a clever clever idea to do it that way, where it, where it goes uh, increasingly worse one way and better the other. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Have a good night. You too, Tim. I also love the the pawning some trolls. I haven't seen the or I would say pewn pewn some trolls. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> let's see. Let's go to um, let's go to Nivedita and see if um, she has a small prop poem, and we'll we'll see if the connection's been working in India the whole time. I, I wonder if maybe there's like a server down somewhere um, that maybe was messing with um, with Martin's and other the stream hey nivedita how are you doing today hey tim i'm doing great thank you how about you i'm doing great and how has the stream been for you in india is it uh has it been on the whole time yes i've not had any issues so far yeah i think there's probably some yeah there's probably some like issue somewhere in in the u.s probably the you know northeast or something that's knocking it off for some people interesting i'll have to look back and see if it recorded the whole thing or not Uh, but what what do you have to share with us today it's a verse poem or palindrome poem, as the case may be. For a change, I'd already had one written, so I didn't have to scurry in at the last oh, minute. Perfect. So this was actually published in one of the local online magazines here called Glomag, and so I just decided to use that here because it makes sense that way. Excellent. Yeah, let's go. Go ahead and read it. Thank you. How the curious see the world. I know not how others see things in this world. To me, it's all relative as we move from alpha to omega into the supernova of ideas, past the black holes shrouded in obscurity, through the dust storms raging for all eternity, we crawl ever so slowly, hoping to find the solution, creating even more questions. Creating even more questions, hoping to find the solution, we crawl ever so slowly through the dust storms raging for all eternity, past the black holes shrouded in obscurity, into the supernova of ideas, from alpha to omega, as we move, to me, it's all relative. How others see things in this world, I know not. Excellent. I love that. Thanks so much for sharing it, Nivi. Thank you, Tim. It's lovely talking to you. I hope the issue gets fixed soon for all yeah, you guys out there. Yeah, I hope so too. But if, if anybody missed anything, it'll be on YouTube for or later or Facebook uh, or whatever, Facebook, wherever you want to look Facebook at it. Facebook is also still fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, well, thanks for letting me know and thanks for sharing that poem, Nivi. I loved it. Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Okay, yeah, and let me look up, um, <clears throat> let me show this is Glomag, Monthly Online Poetry and Prose Magazine. I'll put it on screen just so you can, uh, you can see it. Glomag, G-L-O-M-A-G. Okay, let's go to another caller. Let's go to, um, let's call it uh, back that Guy Chambers up. See what Guy has for us. Hello. Hey, Guy. How are you doing tonight? 
Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And let me ask you, has the stream been good for you or no? No, I'm just only having a little problems here, but uh, see, but up here we got a good snowstorm going on here, so that's what I thought might be the problem. Oh yeah, <laughs> I guess. Everybody I, else is, yeah, there's, but everybody else is having problems too. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, uh, anybody can go over to Facebook or uh, Twitter, and I think I guess oh, both yeah. those are working fine. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, this is one of my poem here. Like uh, I call these uh, micro poems. It's mm-hmm. very short, sweet. You know, like like I read a lot of them. There's only two, three, four lines. And like I got a whole big sections of them in my book, uh, Flying Kites in the Moonlight. Mm. I got a whole big section there. So, but I like reading these things. They're very short and sweet. And this one poem here tonight called Roots. You can just take it as uh, like I written it about life, and actually somebody can uh, take it as nature. So, this is the poem here I can go over called Roots. Uh, a tree stands tall with deep roots. Oh, I or do. Can go, yeah, yeah. yeah so you can go backwards and go with deep roots. A tree stands tall. Ah, that, that's like great. Figures. Yeah, yeah. Like say with roots, you know, that's mostly about your family and friends and everything else. So you can make us you stronger. Not too, or even just nature. You got really deep roots. The tree's not going to move no matter no matter what Mother Nature does. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love that. That was great. Thanks for sharing, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I say I like writing poems. Like I got a bunch of those on. Uh, uh, YouTube, uh, under Guy Chambers Poetry, you got a whole bunch of them, like open mic stuff and all that too. Oh, so. very cool. Well, everybody definitely have to check that out. Guy Chambers, yeah. uh, on YouTube. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, then. I sure appreciate it. I sure have some good stories here tonight with Martin here. I really enjoyed tonight. <laughs> yeah, they were. Thanks so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Guy. Okay, thanks a lot. Yep. Good night. Have a good day. Yeah, bye. and stay dry in that snowstorm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. What is it? It's November. No, I mean, not November. What are you saying? <laughs> May 18th. Um, let's see. Next up, we will call. Yeah, so uh, Richard says he had to jump over to jump over to uh, Facebook. But let's talk to Richard. Hey, Tim. Hey, Richard. How are you doing tonight? Good. Yeah, I, I had to jump to Facebook uh, into from the wasteland of YouTube to uh-huh. uh, get to see the show. So there must be a YouTube server issue. Yeah, there must. I think there might be like some kind of like just bigger backbone internet issues. Uh, that that would make the most sense. I've seen that happen before sometimes. Yeah, um, there was some small irony in Martin's um, uh, being foiled by technology. <laughs> there kind of was. I didn't want to say anything about it, but it is true. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. it sounds like he's pretty, pretty technologically savvy. Yeah, he definitely was. We had a test call that worked perfectly. So it really wasn't him. It was, um, and then he kept dropping. So it was definitely his internet connection and whatever's going on in the, in the world out there, but at least, uh, it's kind of working fine. So what, what did you want to share? Uh, so, um, I failed uh-huh. at the prompt this week. I just couldn't get any tension, any sort of like the, the poem just sort of sat there. Yeah. It's uh, a tricky one. Uh, I had trouble too. Yeah, it was a, it was a lovely you know sort of image, but it just didn't mm-hmm. didn't didn't fly as a poem. So I'm I'm going to read my prompt poem from last week. Gotcha. Okay, and this was the response to a, a iconic poem prompt. Yes, uh, and the iconic poem um, was because I could not stop for death. I just went went for the gold <laughs> in terms of iconic poems. Uh, do you have it up there? Yep, I do. Go ahead. Okay. After I stopped for death, 
I stopped for death. He stopped my heart. The nurses around my bed, eyes wide at what they'd done in haste, administered the wrong drug, let the balloon of me deflate, the eye of me return to nothingness. It was so effortless to let it all slide away. Behind me, I could see the greening garden, the spring-warmed strawberries ripening, recede, peace, even the nurses' labors like vapors. As easy as leaving was for me, I saw ahead faces torn, the folks for whom my going would be a forever chill. This would be a burden I'd be unwilling to sit with for my silent eternity. I slowly breathed back into me what I had let death take. We shared farewells. I said, I will keep you in my heart until we meet again, as he kindly drove away. Oh, that was excellent. That that balloon image at the beginning. Man, that was a great, great, powerful image that, that, that let the balloon of me deflate. Yeah. Uh, great poem, Richard. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yep. Have, a, have a great evening. You too. That uh, is Richard Westheimer with After I Stop for Death. After, uh, because I could not stop for death. Let us see. Now we have um, uh, an unknown. Okay, so we're going to, let's do, uh, I'll read Carlton Johnson's. I saw he had one. This is a forwards and backwards poem. And it's called The Past is Prologue by Carlton Johnson. Let me read it for him. The Past is Prologue. Be just here now. God is love. Life is here. Love is here. Flowers are lovely. Life is wonder-filled. Time is forever changing. Love yourself first. First love yourself. Changing forever is time. Overfilled is life. Here is love. Here is life. Lovely are flowers. Love is God. Now here just be. Excellent. A great poem. Thanks for sharing that. I, you know, the, the reversal really comes out, the, the different way it sounds the second time through. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Carlton. Okay, well, I will just read Vicky's reverse poem then, too. Um, I will, uh, let's see. Here we go. This is uh, Vicky's reverse poem, Vicky Miko. We made the rain. Yes, I know what dreams are. Dreams are reason. I discovered reason. Yes, you invented clarions. Clarions are the source of magic. Yes, you invented magic. Magic is the proof of dreams. I invented dreams. Yes, I have God in my eyes, though I don't believe in God. Yes, I have tears I can't write about. When you died, but my tears didn't. We invented dreams. We made the rain. And here's the reverse. We made the rain. We invented dreams, but my tears didn't when you died. Yes, I have tears I can't write about, though I don't believe in God. Yes, I have God in my eyes. I invented dreams. Magic is the proof of dreams. Yes, you invented magic. Clarions are the source of magic. Yes, you invented clarions. I discovered reason. Dreams are reason. Yes, I know what dreams are. Another great reversal there. Thanks for sharing that, Vicky. Um, we have uh, Jerry Stephenson's calling in right now. I'll call him back in just a moment. Um, but let's call up first um, Patricia Rockwood. 
And we have Spartacus 2. Um, it, it's a short open lines because of the late delay on the show. But I'll, I'll try to get to everybody or as many people as possible. Um, so, so Jerry Stephenson, I'll call you back in just a minute. But it's uh, Patricia Rockwood's turn. So let's do Patricia Rockwood first. And then Spartacus and then Jerry. And that might be the last, uh, the last of it. Good evening, Patricia. How are you doing tonight? Hey, Tim. I'm doing well. Yeah. Um, so what do you have to share? Um, I have a poem that's, it's, it's kind of, it's a reverse poem, but it's also a um, kind of a poet's respond poem. Oh, okay. There was this great story about a um, a little bird, a, a tanager, who got blown off course as she was um, trying to migrate down to South America, mm-hmm. and uh, she got um, it, it was she was going down uh, the Pacific, and she got blown off course, and she ended up uh, landing on this ship. Um, off the coast of Costa Rica, and um, for five days she she kind of made friends with the crew oh, wow. there. It was a really cute story. It was in uh, reported on Audubon magazine, and um, so um, she was she was eating blueberries and um, roosting in in somebody's hair, mm-hmm. and and it was just really cute. There were some cute pictures in the magazine. Oh, and nice. so I was trying to write this longer poem about that because it was such a cute story and it just wasn't working out. And then this palindrome, this prompt came up. And so I wrote kind of a shorter poem, a reverse poem about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also I was thinking about this, um, uh, this also this kind of vague, um, more metaphysical idea about the spaces between worlds, you know, the world of animals and the world of humans and how it's just so, so, so rarely do we get the chance to cross over, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And so I've been trying to write about that too. So here's my mercifully short (laughs) reverse poem. (laughs) It's called Palindrome for a Tanager. The curtain lifted between wind and water, and a small tanager found an oasis, a research vessel, a speck in the Pacific, itself a boundary between air and deep sea, so thrilling the life below and above the ship. And then the reverse, so thrilling the life below and above the ship, itself a boundary between air and deep sea, a research vessel, a speck in the Pacific, and a small tanager found an oasis. The curtain lifted between wind and water. Oh, that was beautiful. I love that story and the poem. Thanks so much for sharing both. Yeah, you're welcome. Have a good night. You too. Of course, that was Patricia Rockwood with Palindrome for a Teenager. Uh, let's call up. We'll do um, Spartacus, and then we will do, um, who was it? Jerry Stephenson, I'll call back. Right now, let's call up Spartacus and Ignostris. Let's see. Hiya. Good evening, Spartacus. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Very interesting discussion tonight to have such a person with all these experiences. 
I'm really grateful to hear from him. Yeah, he's led an interesting life, that's for sure. Did, let me ask, since you're in the UK, did you have any connection interruptions on YouTube, or was it working fine for you? Everything good for now here. Uh -huh. That's good to hear. So it must so, be some yes. East Coast problem that they're having at some server. Okay, so what, what poem did you want to share tonight? I've got a reverse poem. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's called The Blanket. Okay. Um, shall I go and read it? Yeah, go ahead. I have it on the screen right now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Chaotic city. You are a farmer's market that gets up at seven every morning to campaign against war and love. Strange city. Life is the snow and life is the life of a beggar sitting by the side of the road and feeling the coldness of snow when snowflakes fall into his empty cup. Big city, I offer you my naive warmth and the beggar smiles wrapped in a blanket. My city, can you see with your vacuous stare the undertakers that are collecting therapies? Never sleeping city, Death is the neighborhood in which a blanket serves the forgotten. My charming city, the night is the drug dealers that put their Bible on empty fruit stands and preach with a surgeon's skill. My charming city, the night is the drug dealers that put their Bible on empty fruit stands and preach with a surgeon's skill. Never sleeping city. Death is the neighborhood in which a blanket serves the forgotten. My city, can you see with your vacuous stare the undertakers that are collecting the rubbish? Big city, I offer you my naive warmth and the beggar smiles wrapped in a blanket. Strange city, life is the snow and life is the life of a beggar sitting by the side of the road and feeling the coldness of snow when snowflakes fall into his empty cup. Chaotic city, you are a farmer's market that gets up at seven every morning to campaign against war and love. Thanks so much, Spartacus. I love that. And you always have such a great way of turning phrases. That one, death is the neighborhood in which a blanket serves the forgotten. What a way to say that. Thanks so much for sharing that. Strong poem. Thanks, Spartacus. Thank you very much, Tim. Yep. Have a bye great bye. night. Bye. That was uh, Spartacus and Agnostris with uh, a blanket. And uh, let's go to uh, Jerry Stephenson next. And uh, Jerry might be the last caller of the night, unless anybody else would like to join in. Uh, once again, the number is 818, what is it, 818-850-7727 if you'd like to call. Nope. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. You are live on the air. I hear some background noise, so I'm going to mute you for a second. Yeah, no problem. This is uh, Tim with Rattle Magazine, and uh, you're live on the air on the Rattlecast. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So we were just talking to uh, Jerry's wife, I, I assume. Um, and there was, I think she was uh, using a blender or something when we called. But uh, she's getting Jerry right now.
Battle Magazine is live on the air. Hey, Jerry, are you there? Uh-oh. I think we lost him for a second. You there? Hey, Jerry. Tim. Yeah, how are you doing tonight? Yeah. I'm doing good watching you have all the adventures there. You've been <laughs> Skyping in and Skyping out and going all around and about. This yeah, been... yeah, it is something something else going on tonight. <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those weird, weird episodes where technology does not, you know, does not cooperating. But uh, well, <laughs> what I'm did you want to share responsibility. with us? Yeah. I got, I, actually, I'll give it right to the business end. I had to get a reverse poem for you. Uh-huh. But I decided, you know, an old expression, why be difficult for a little bit of effort? It can be impossible. <laughs> Sounds good. I like that. So, so what I did was I did a complete reverse poem, word by word. Oh, wow. That, that, do you want to? <laughs> that, yikes. How could you even do that? Okay, <laughs> okay let's hear it. It's just the way I think of it for you. You ready? Yep, I'm ready. It's called The Hunter. Okay. Vapor and mist fill himself. Joy of heart remain. Can escape her? Pause for breath. Draw the rapier. Hand the claw and never show pause. Defy grave sight. Empty heart full of hate. Fearing fate. Arrives early yet always late. Skates thin ice like bait. Always appears in state. Roars echo tirade. Spinning several plates. The hunted. It's the reversal. Plates several spinning. Echoes. Tirade echoes roar. States in... State in appear, appears always bait like ice thin skates. Late always, yet our early arrives. Fate fearing, hate full of hate full of heart empty, graveside defy. Pause shows show never claw the hands. Rapier the draw, breath for pause, her escape can remain of joy. Films, self films, the mist in favor. <laughs> wow, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. That I don't know how. That might be the the hardest a, a full palindrome. Um, it is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That might be the hardest uh, prompt ever <laughs> to do a poem like that. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Jerry. Tim, thank you so much, and thanks for your persistence. We're sitting here at my friend Cyril Helpy because my first time on. Do, do you Skype? Uh-huh. So we've been. Right, and so there's a, we're wrestling through this, and we thought, quick, let's uh, try the phone in and use the landline, and well, and then my wife got it. I'm in the studio. She's in the house. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I'm so glad we could get a hold of you. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you so much. Take care, yep. well. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was uh, Jerry Stephenson with uh, The Hunter, and I do believe that is going to be the show for tonight. Uh, before I mosey on out and, and see uh, see what the damage was, um, uh, see how... Uh, this actually work. Actually, let me um, let's see. So Nate Jacob, who is not here, given all the the technical difficulties, we have a bunch of people who who said they wanted to share poems, um, but probably like gave up with the YouTube issues. So I'm going to uh, I'm just going to read both before we leave. I'm going to read um, I'm going to read Nate Jacob's poem. This is Silent Birds Again, and then I'll read uh, Brendan Com- Brendan Komarinsky's poem. That'll close out the show. So we'll sh- we'll share these poems. I don't want them to go to go without being shared. So here's Nate Jacobs' Silent Birds again. This is his reversal prompt poem. Here we go. Silent Birds again. I am struck by this loneliness, but I no longer hear the calls. They would have lifted us above our darkness. They could have drawn our eyes heavenward. Inspired devotion to feather and wing. 
their songs of warning would have and had they not meant so very little to us, and maybe if they hadn't been so small. No one told them, no one saw it coming, birds falling into bad habits because the daytime sky turned black and I am struck by the darkness. And then reverse, should it be reversed? He said it was the prompt. Okay, so we'll we'll read it in reverse. I am struck by the darkness, the daytime sky turned black, and birds falling into bad habits because no one told them, no one saw it coming. And maybe if they hadn't been so small, and had they not meant so very little to us, their songs of warning would have inspired devotion to feather and wing. They could have drawn our eyes heavenward. They would have lifted us above our darkness, but I no longer hear the calls. I am struck by this loneliness. Excellent poem. I love that. The the reverse way up was great. That's definitely intended to be read in reverse as well. Thanks for sharing that, Nate. It was Nate Jacobs, or just Jacob, with uh, Silent Birds again. Let's see. So, um, and let's do... Let's do Brenda Komarinsky's poem. Um, oh, wait, this is from last week. We just didn't read it last week. But let's read this, too. This is a Saturday Night Working Dorm Security. I just We had a lot of callers last week, and I didn't get to uh, just flipping through the emails. Um, what was the prompt last week? I don't even remember. Um, but she says the prompt was fun. She, uh, Brenda also said that uh, I got my second shot yesterday, and I'm feeling a little woozy, but I'll try to be there. Um, so I hope Brenda's feeling better. But this is a Saturday night working dorm security. What was the prompt last week? I'm just drawing a blank. Um, but maybe I'll remember when I read the poem here. Here was uh, Brenda's poem. Saturday night working dorm security. Dear Dr. Williams, so much depends. Depend, oh, suddenly start over. <laughs> Dear Dr. Williams, so much depended on my coworker memorizing your lines. She drank Red Bull all night as we let glazed eye chickens chicks in past our white desk. <laughs> so, yeah, so that reminds me. So this was the response to an iconic poem that was last week. Let me read it again so I don't butcher it, because it was funny. Saturday night, working dorm security. Dear Dr. Williams, so much depended on my coworker memorizing your lines. She drank Red Bull all night as we let glazed-eyed chicks in past our white desk. <laughs> that is uh, Brenda Komarinsky's prompt poem from last week. Okay, that has got to be the show for tonight. I do have to get going. Um, a few more emails, but we just have to move on. Uh, but thanks, everybody, for joining us and for sticking through the uh, technical difficulty we had throughout the night. It was still a great show with uh, Martin Willits Jr., uh, next week's prompt, hang on a second, next week's prompt is going to be right here. Uh, next week's prompt, oh, similar to my uh, random street view that I pulled up from last year. Here's another prompt uh, based on a, let me see, here we go. There's the prompt. Uh, use the random article option on Wikipedia. Go to wikipedia.com and click on the random article link on the left-hand side of the page and write a poem based on your results. Feel free to click a few times to find one that speaks to you. And that is the uh, prompt for next week, so use the random button and use that to inspire a poem, the random button on Wikipedia. And that is your challenge for next week. And next week's guest, as I mentioned before, is going to be uh, Karen McCadden. And Karen McCadden is author of several books of poetry, most recently American Wake. Um, just a wonderful poet. We've published her in, th- I think, three issues of Rattle and twice in Poets Respond. 
um, and looking forward to talking to her. That is Tuesday, May 25th. And I have to let everybody know, this is going to be the last um, Tuesday night episode. I don't know if everybody, um, if this is good, I should I should let you know. Um, I don't know if this is a good change or not for everybody. We're going to move to Sundays. So uh, right now, Poetry Spawn Live is Sunday morning, and then this is Tuesday night. Um, starting May 30th, we're going to switch to Sunday nights for both combine them into one show and, um, and then that way you sort of get more synergy going between the two shows and get the uh, great news poems that we publish on Poetry Spawn Live into the uh, the iTunes whatever podcast because I think that'll be a, a really nice thing to do because uh, I love the open line. So anyway, uh, but that is not coming up yet. Next week's guest is still Tuesday. The last Tuesday, at least for the summer, that we'll be doing Tuesday night shows. It's May 25th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Then we'll have a show on Sunday, uh, May 30th. So uh, that is this uh, Tuesdays with Karen McCadden, Rattlecast number 94. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Good night. <laughs>